Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Small doses of help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy. It's so funky. <laughs> This episode, all my people out there that keep talking about they're going to get the bag. They want to get the bag. They want to run shit. Okay. I want you to own shit because this is Side Effects of Being a Business Owner. Listen, y'all. There's a whole lot of money out here. There's a lot of folks that don't want to do a whole lot of work because owning your business does require a whole lot of effort. I'll be the first to tell you, and especially to my black business owners out here who are listening, it is imperative that we understand that the key to actual community rising and winning and taking it back to the old school, overcoming is about ownership and defining our own economic standard. And I want there to be more examples of shared standards of excellence amongst black business because there's a shared expectation too often of deference by just being a black business. But we're going to get into that in the DMTs. We also have a guest chilling with us later for people I like. Designer extraordinaire Miss Melody Asani is going to be sitting on the couch. Well, the futon. So stick around. First off, though, it's time for the gym dropping, ain't it? Gym dropping. Gym dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> the gems have been dropped. They're gonna get dropped again. Today's gem dropping is about boss versus bossy. Okay, you got your business. Things are up and running. Now, you need some folks to help you out. Here's the tea. Some people just want to be bossy. They really just want to tell people what to do. They like the idea of pushing people around. They like the idea of people responding to their demands. They like the idea of people doing what they tell them to do. And they think that this just because they're doing this, they think that just because they have people on hand who require the money they're giving them, so therefore will put up with the shit they're giving them, they think that this means that they are a boss. No! You just bossy okay and that doesn't always you know we've heard different songs or whatever where people are like i'm bossy in this context bossy is not no fly shit bossy is simply a misappropriation of authority that isn't really rooted in advancement and more so just in arrogance and when you own your own business it can be very tempting to get into that bossy space because like you really just need people to get shit done Now, I have been accused of being bossy before because I don't really have a lot of, like, extra words to give you once we're on set and once we're moving and we're working. Like, I just don't have the energy to be like, I know that you're having a hard day, but can you please make sure that the actors are mic'd before we start shooting since you are the sound person? Like, that I don't have time for. You know your job when you got here, and I need you to do the job. And that's when you just get, you got to be aware of, like, your strengths. And that is about being a boss. A boss is somebody who understands that it requires different people to get things done. And they all actually have to be moving in a synergistic way. And that's not always an easy thing to do, especially if you have a small operation. Because you're like, damn, I got to focus on this, that, this, the third, that, this, that over there, and this. And you want me to care about your feelings. Like, it is so difficult. The hardest part of being a boss is actually managing your employees' personalities. The You think it's about the numbers and the IRS and taxes. No. You know what it's about? It's about Sheila and her man 
is an asshole. And so she be coming in here, bent out of shape every damn day, not getting shit done because she is sidetracked by dealing with the fact that she got to go back home to this prick ass nigga after work. And that's why your shit ain't getting done. Are you going to go deal with her prick ass dude? No. You got to find some way to either get Sheila to be effective or Sheila got to go. And that's the doozy too, because if you're a human and you have any level of like compassion, you don't want to take money out of somebody's mouth unnecessarily. You know, so being a boss is being able to actually find a way to separate the business from the emotional part of things. And that's why people love to be like, it's just business. It's just business. But there's a way to do good business. And as a boss, that's what you have to manage. Bossy, don't be caring about that shit. Bossy just wants to run shit. And bossy will run your business into the ground. I've seen it before. I've seen someone hire a friend who they allowed to become bossy. And that friend was doing bad business for their biz- for the other person's business. And next thing you know, who does that reflect on? It reflects on the boss. And now people are looking at the boss like, that's who you got around here? You going to bring that into the mix? This bitch right here? Nah, man. And so as a boss, you have to be able to step back and say, I know that's my homie, but as we said on side effects of working with friends, she is not the right person to be working in this situation. She's creating a toxic environment for my business. So as a boss, I need to do the responsible thing and remove her because she is being bossy and it is not advancing the productivity of our work environment. I mean... The key to being a boss is about demonstrating what you want folks to do for you. And that can be a really difficult thing, too, because it's like sometimes when you have people actually helping you out, you feel like, damn, I'm going to slack just a little bit, you know, because I get to be a little lax now. You know, I get to like relax a little bit. And it's like, no, you got to work even harder. When you hire people, it doesn't mean that you work less. It just means that you now get to focus more on the things that are intrinsically your skill set and your task while these other people do their tasks. The boss is the is the person who's able to know what they know and therefore hire the folks that know better. And when you do that, you spare yourself the mistakes of just having to be overrun, overwrought, and also underskilled. And I have absolutely been in positions where I had to check myself because I was looking at the people that I was working with and they were slipping. And I was like, damn, like they're not doing this on point. They're not doing that on point. Da, da, da. And then I had to look at myself. And it's like, yeah, but like you ain't on time. Like you're not fully prepared. You know, you showing up and you just expect them to be like, boom, at it. You ain't at it. And I was doing that. I I I, I was really like, <laughs> just like checking myself like yo you playing yourself and I sat my crew down at the time and I said you know I apologize because I've been slacking on my on my pimping and I can't expect y'all to be on point if I'm not on point and I'm I'm aware of that and I'm gonna do better and um I hope that you all, you know, follow suit. And everything got back on point. But as a boss, I had to step outside of my own inflated position in my company and see how the fuck I could do better for my company and encourage them to want to do better in the company. And um, that was a real, like, that's one of the moments where it's like, put your pride aside. I made the conscious choice Not to be bossy. And that was the most boss bitch thing I could do. Are you sitting around looking at your apartment like, what are we doing? There's somewhere so much cooler that we could be right now. But how can we make it happen? I'm going to tell you. Get on up. Get off your phone. Or get on the internet. And go to trippin.com. One search Let's you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites in one place to find the best deal for your perfect vacation rental. Y'all, think outside the box. It's not about just staying in a hotel. 
There's just different ways to experience different places. And sometimes staying in a home is actually the most iller way because you're already in a comfort space. And Trippin.com can set you up for that right spot. Vacation rentals offer more privacy, more space for everyone under one roof, and more choices. You can get fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms. Y'all, they even got hot tubs. All the comforts of home and then some. And best of all, Tripping.com lets you join millions of travelers who find more savings and they get rates up to 80% less than the traditional hotel rooms. So if you're planning on spring break or you're planning on like a little trip with the boo, a vacation of sorts, or maybe you are getting ready to give yourself a little respite from the work, you know, like, you know what? Let me treat myself. I'm gonna treat myself. Treat yourself. And you can do so by going to tripping.com. And now you can save time and money with also saving with our little small doses promo code. So go to tripping.com slash small doses. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash small doses and find your perfect vacation rental. All right, y'all slid all up in my DMs with your questions. And I got the answers. I got the answers. Um, so my engineer recently told me that all of my little singy songies sound like Hot Pockets, and now it has become my goal in life to make sure that I don't always sound like Hot Pockets. Shout, Shout out to Jim, Jim Gaffigan. Gaffigan. And shout out to everybody who came out to the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Uh, We had a great time in Austin. And if you want to see me and you're here in L.A., make sure you come out to the improv, the Hollywood improv. I said it at the top of the show. I know. I know. I'm saying it again. Because I want you all to come out to the Hollywood Improv on May 19th and check me out with Candace Thompson hosting and Reginald Thomas featuring. It's going to be a good fucking time. And I expect to see you there. (laughs) Now, these DMTs. First one, when you encounter roadblocks at progressing and furthering your business, what steps do you take to overcome them? And furthermore, if the roadblocks are constant and consistent, at what point do you stop and go, hey, maybe I'm going about this wrong, or maybe what I thought would work doesn't, and now I need to save myself while I can? Mm, mm, mm. Great question. First half of the question, when you encounter roadblocks of progressing and furthering your business, what steps do you take to overcome them? I think that one, you got to take a look at examining your process, right? Like, how did you get to this obstacle in the first place? You know, what was the series of steps you took that led up to this? And in in examining that, do you see any glaring issues, any glaring mistakes or discrepancies? If you don't see any there, then the question becomes looking at other people's models. You know, and seeing like how did they go about the, go about this this path, and if you have mentors or if you have access to anyone who owns businesses, also asking them how did they you know do the same thing or do they see any ways that you could have operated in a better way to get to this point? I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be roadblocks and there's going to be like ways that are just obtuse in terms of progressing and furthering your business, and sometimes. And this may be the most frustrating option. Sometimes you just got to just chill, you know? Sometimes you got to just shut it down and, uh, you know, get in your little Enya mode. Get that meditation going. Sitting there, legs crossed, you know, birds laying on your head. Or maybe your meditation style is more soulful. Maybe you need to just go out to the sea and sit on the deck of the bay. Sitting till the evening's done. And, and just watch the tide roll in and watch it roll away again, you know? And the reason that's the hardest thing for people to do is because when people are still, we always think that we're not doing anything. But sometimes stillness is a choice that you have to make in order to allow for other ideas to come or for things to regenerate. You know, you think about it, it's like sometimes if you're just moving and moving and moving and moving and moving and moving, it doesn't give a chance for something to to take root. You know, and sometimes you need to just stop to let certain thoughts take root and germinate in a different way. And I'm not saying you do that, you know, for an indeterminate amount of time, but give yourself that as an option. Maybe you need a break, you know? Maybe you need to pivot. And that's always a choice that you have that you can make. Now, 
This question continues and says, if the, if the roadblocks are consistent and constant, at what point do you stop and go, maybe I went about this the wrong way or maybe what I thought would work doesn't and how can I save myself while I can? I think that varies for everybody. But I always live by the gold standard that once it goes from a challenge to a stress, it's time to pivot. And that pivot can mean I just need to find a new method. But sometimes that pivot means I just need to gnaw. (laughs) What I thought was dope isn't. And I need to cut my losses. And I think that the way that you determine that is simply exactly that language, cutting your losses. It's by seeing how much losses are you taking. And are the losses exponential versus the gains? Now, listen, you will take losses in the beginning of any business. This is a fact. Rarely do you come out swinging. Rarely are we Jerry Seinfeld and we came out on stage and never bombed from the age of 15 and on. Rarely. However, if the losses are so consistent that they outweigh the movement that you are doing, and movement is not just measured by money, then you have to ask yourself, is this really what should be doing, what I should be doing, or is this really the best way to be doing this? And I think sometimes we are so attached to an idea because of also like our emotional attachment to it, you know, and we feel like if we give up that it makes us a failure. Yo, sometimes (laughs) giving up is actually the most winning shit you can do, and it's not about giving up per se as much as it's saying, you know what? This is no longer a good idea. And your mindset in any business should always be best idea wins. Next question. (laughs) Next question. Hey. How do you teach yourself to keep the damn books? Shit. If you're like me, you just know you ain't good at keeping no damn books. So you're going to have to find a bookkeeper and that might require money. Um, and that's just what it is. Or you really just got to look on the Internet. I mean, it's one of those bite the bullet type shits. Like it's just part, part and parcel for having a business that you have to have books. You know, and the books are basically just where your money is in the business and how that money is being spent. And when you are doing taxes, you're going to want to be able to have your books tight, tight like a virgin on prom night. Tight. So that when, God forbid, you get audited or something, you got some shit to go to that says, oh, no, 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 no. See, we ain't spend none of this shit on an orgy. None of it. All this money is properly appropriated to where it needed to be. Mm Mm-mm. Not I. Next question. Ah, throwback hot pockets. How do you mentally balance doing the legwork and exercising the love you have for what you're doing with the need to handle laborious shit like legal documents and other paperwork? And how do you prevent that from detouring you from running a business? Hey, man, this goes again. This goes along with the bookkeeping element of things. You know, it's kind of like it's just like the gift and the curse aspect. Like you don't want to you don't ever want to be like so overrun with all that stuff that it really just like drives it into the ground. But you do have to be honest with yourself and know that it is an actual aspect of having a business. And if you're going to open a business, you got to have that conversation with yourself that this is some shit that you got to do. But I've also done the work of tricking myself into like, you know what? I need to get nice at this. And you got to know what you need to hear to inspire you to want to get nice at something. Like I want to know shit so that no one could tell me shit. That's basically why I'd be wanting to know shit so that no one can dupe me. No one can pull the wool over my eyes. No one can, you know, play me out. Like, don't try to play me out. Don't try to play me out. No, you you can't play with my yo-yo because I know no. All of this shit. That's why I'd be wanting to know shit. But you got to figure out what that is for you. What inspires you to want to know shit? You know, are you just a very, like, detail-oriented person? It's just one more thing for you to know. Is it because... Basically, like, you just have to know it because if you don't, like, you're going to get run into the ground. Is it a need-based no? It might be. And as a business owner, I can't see any other. It's always a need-based no when it comes to, like, the paperwork and the books and all of these aspects. And they 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 want it to be hard, y'all. They get, this is how lawyers have jobs because this shit ain't supposed to make sense. Okay? This is why accountants have jobs because this shit ain't supposed to be easy. You know, so then you got to think to yourself, all right, well, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm helping the workforce. But I know that with my lawyer and with my accountant, like, I have them explain things to me. With my bookkeeper, I have them explain things to me because I want to know and I want to understand and I want to be able to watch them. But 
all in all, you got to do a business that you truly love. And when you truly love your business, it's like everything that comes along with it, even when it's a headache, gets rooted in the fact that, you know what? At least this shit is yours. At least you're doing all this fucking paperwork for yo Yo shit. shit. At least you're doing all this books for yo Yo shit. shit. And at least you're paying somebody to do this shit that you can't do because it's yo Yo shit. shit. And sometimes that's all you need to know to make yourself be like, you know what? I really, I really hate all of this, but it's worth it. Last question. Why do black people always want a discount from a black business? Why do people question a black business credentials and not other ethnicities? Well, we know the answer to the last one. I mean, that's just basic. Uh, that's just racism. This good old-fashioned racism. And that's what this country was built on. I mean, black people couldn't own businesses when this country became a country and all these rules and laws came into the mix. And I really do feel like there is a reality that says that because black folks were in such a sequestered position of society for so long, and then even once we were emancipated, we still were not allowed to be a part of you know, better business and a part of the market and commerce in a true way, we are at a deficit. We, uh, we are at a deficit in terms of our learning. We're at a deficit in terms of our ability to um, integrate into the marketplace. And that's why they have like affirmative action and, you know, small business, you know, breaks for African-American businesses, et cetera. The same thing for, for women. That being said, there is something to be said for the fact that we have to support each other and we have to understand that our dollar as a community is stronger when it works within our community. And when you see like the Jewish community and you see like the Asian community, like they got that shit down to a science. Their dollar goes through their community like 13 goddamn times before it gets out. And it's not to say that, oh, it's segregation or whatever, but it what, what it is to say is it's, it's building up an economic base for a people who are still on the fringe of this society. And oppression in this country is not a made-up construct. It's a real thing. Don't let none of these bullshit-ass right-wing people lie to you. Don't let none of these bullshit-ass black right-wing people lie to you. The fact of the matter is that there are systems in place to prevent black businesses from moving forward. Never forget... Black businesses had a Wall Street in Oklahoma. There was a black Wall Street in Oklahoma, and it was bombed. (laughs) The the feds bombed it because they didn't want it to win. There has been American terrorism against black economic advancement in this very country on this very soil, okay? It's not new. But you know what else isn't new? Is the continuance of the black community to rise up and keep on going and dust ourselves off and try again. And every time we do, we need to do so with a considerateness of advancement. And when I have shows, for instance, none of my friends get free tickets. They pay for tickets to my shows because I've made a bottom line that says, this is my business. Support my business. Okay, when I come to your party, I'm going to bring a bottle because I support your party. Okay, when I come to your pool party, I'm going to look fly because I support your pictures at your pool party. When I do my events, come through and support by either showing with money or if it's a situation where it's not money based and it's about bringing people, come through with people. It all is, I, I feel you because you're just like, damn, like, why do we feel like we just got a barter? And it's because for so long, that was the only option. But in order for businesses to advance, like I said, our dollar has to actually be spent. And we should not shortchange each other just because we are black. We shouldn't say like, oh, but we family, so why not? Nah, exactly because we family is exactly why you should be going even harder for me and helping be 100 about letting my business grow in the natural way that it's supposed to. And that sometimes rubs people the wrong way holding people accountable and saying like, yo, like just because we're a black business doesn't mean that we have to operate on a lesser standard. That gets people really upset. But it's a real true fact that we have to hold ourselves highly accountable for elevating the quality of excellence and holding it there and not letting it diminish simply because we come from the same oppressive background or we come from the same cultural background or we come from the same ethnic space or we speak the same African-American version of English. So I hear you, sis, and um, don't ever feel bad about being like, nah, I'm not trading you for this, <laughs> for this good or service. What I'm doing is providing a good and service, and if you are truly in support of not only my business but my black business, then you will pay me the actual amount that is due and fairly stated. People I like. 
It's time for another edition of People I Like. And here's the thing about this segment. I only have people on here that I like. It's the best part of having your own shit <laughs> is that you can set the rules. And on this show, um, now I had always liked this person's work, but then I met them in person. I was like, well, yeah, I like you in person, which doesn't always happen, people. Today's guest is Miss Melody Asani. Hello, hello. Yes, Melody Asani is the entrepreneur, designer extraordinaire of MelodyAsani.com, properly spelled M-E-L-O-D-Y-E-H-S-A-N-I. Wow, that's good. That's because you have all my money. <laughs> so I know it very well. I get all the emails, all the updates. Yeah, but I still get Melanie Ashanti. <laughs> On the regular. <laughs> so thank you for so that. Is that when you're Correct. talking to Al Sharpton? <laughs> 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 Just a side note, you guys, like, um, when you're not listening to Small Doses, do yourself a treat. Go to YouTube.com and watch Al Sharpton versus the teleprompter. And it doesn't matter what mood you're in. Like, it will bring joy to your life to watch his utter failure <laughs> at reading a teleprompter. And I, I, and he was on TV for a time. It's not like he was on TV for like a month. This man had a show for at least a year, and at no point did he ever really cross over that bridge. But I digress. <laughs> I digress. Now, um, so Melody does Melody does product. Melanie Ashanti does <laughs> does um, a variance of products. You do clothing, you do accessories, you do shoes. Mm -hmm. Give us some background because honestly, like I don't really know the full story of your company and of your trajectory. Like honestly, mm -hmm. I was put onto the dopeness, and mm -hmm. I just dove in. I just dove into the dopeness. How did you hear about it? I heard about it from. Uh, I think it's from Quan. Mm. So my friend Quan was our producer on my web series, Get Your Life, which is now available on blackblavity.com, B-L-A-V-I-T-Y.com, backslash series. And, um, and then I was hooked. I was hooked. And that's when I got, okay. I just started buying up a bunch of goodies. And I was big into the nail covers. Right, you the used nail to wraps. Have these nail wraps. Uh -huh. Do you still do them? No. I was big into the nail wraps. Yeah. Ooh wee. Y'all, they were basically stickers that you yeah. put on your nail, but they were super fly. Yeah. And they were really like ornate and decorative. Now I do the exact opposite and I only wear white nail yeah. polish. Because <laughs> I don't have the energy. But I was um I was super duper into that. And then I was buying all the jewelry. And then when I moved out to LA, I went to the shop and um I got some goodies there. But Clearly, you didn't just start. And then, of no. course, you're tight with Melina, who mm -hmm. is our director and executive producer on Insecure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like it's a circle. It's like you just meet people and you're like, oh, they know all these other people that I know. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you're L.A. based. Yes. L.A. born. Born and raised. Nice. Yes. Did you always want to do this? No. So I, um, I went to college and I was like, shit, I have to figure out what I want to do. And I always knew I was justice oriented so okay. I just figured that well I'm going to go into law because that's what you do if you're trying wanna to fight for yeah. justice so I did I like mm, where'd you go to school UCLA mm -hmm. so I did sociology and philosophy as my majors and I um, geared towards law school and my uncle was like hey you should really do some internships so I did internships I went out on like a quest to do internships so what what made you like jaded and just like, I got to get out of this lawyer shit? Um, it was a few things. Well, first of all, I was interning on Capitol Hill uh, like a week after September 11th happened. Oof. And it was really intense for me because I'm Middle Eastern and I was on the Hill. Where are you from? Um, I'm from Iran. Mm -hmm. My family's from Iran. And so it was really like, it was such a weird time. Yeah. And it was just crazy. And can so, you speak Farsi? Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. I can speak a little bit of Arabic, which is oh, also Middle Eastern. I can count to very, 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. Very hard. Thank you. It comes in handy with the bodegas yeah. in New York. <laughs> you can just throw in a little, like, yes. they're like, Sif Khalik. And you're yeah. like, oh, you know, They're like, really? <laughs> okay. So, That's you know, dope. just trying to you know, relate to you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I feel very related too. Good. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I also know how to say you're ugly and all y'all are ugly in Arabic. That's a good one. It's very helpful when men are hollering at you in the bodega. 
and you're like, Shaklewehesh, Shaklekwehesh. Wow. Yeah. You're ugly. All of y'all are ugly. How much is this? <laughs> Do they laugh? That just probably mm-hmm. makes them like you more. But it makes them realize, like, I don't know how much more Arabic she knows. Mm. And so she might be Muslim. And, like, there's right. all these levels happen. And so they just become on some, like, okay, Habibi. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. that. So I can imagine. I mean, did you feel like it was just the aura in general? Or did you feel like it was directed at you? The... It was both. Okay. But that, that that's just, like, the background of it. And then I was working for um, an organization that... Uh, what they did was they did pro bono, they had pro bono lawyers. They assigned pro bono lawyers to refugees that were seeking asylum in the U.S. based on human rights abuses that they had mm. suffered in their own countries. So there's two parts of it. There was two parts of the organization. There was like the... Um, the aspect of it where they actually did this service where they granted refugees asylum, which I loved because it was instant and immediate gratification. Like yep. as a lawyer, you can, ins- you know, help somebody immediately. And then there is a policy side of it that was the side of it that I was actually more interested in, but that was very political. Yes. And it felt like nobody there was actually there or I should say few people were there that were actually there to make change. They were there to be like the human rights celebrity Mm, of our time. Yeah. And so, and the higher you got up, like the higher you moved up in ranks, the more political it became and the less effective you really were. Yeah. And so uh, I found that all the most incredible people that I met were doing work on the lowest levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are really like the unsung heroes. Like I feel like that's where that term really comes from. But they weren't being remunerated for their work. And most of them... You better say remunerated on this show. (laughs) They didn't have time for families or like, you know, like it was. there was very few women that actually had children. And if they did have children, nannies were raising them. Mm. There was even fewer that were actually married or, you know. Yeah. So it... It just looked like from out the, like it looked grueling and unrewarding. Yes. And just like I'll be giving myself completely over to something that and then may not even work. I'm not going to even make change anyway because right. these laws and policies take like 30 years to change. Yeah. And the the system is so flawed that, I mean, it would, it was just felt like being on a hamster, hamster wheel. wheel. So I, um, I, knew that I loved it, but I was like, I can't do this. And then I got really depressed. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start searching for my passion. Like, whatever that is. Like, what does that really mean? We're big on that on this show. Right. Finding your passion and trying to encourage people to, like, do it. Do the career, yes. not the job. Because you have to wake up every day for the rest yes. of your life and do this thing. Mm-hmm. So what is it going to be? And so I played basketball during high school and some of college. And I was like, well, I'm passionate about basketball. I'm not good enough to play in the league, but maybe I could work for the league. So I interned um, for the league and I... um, How'd you get these internships? Random things. I think I was persistent and I had good grades and I had like, you know... I had good professors in school that would, like, refer me to things. Nice. But you were resourceful. Yeah. I was always resourceful, too. Um, So, yeah, there was, like, the first internship I got was at the Summer Pro League, which is in Long Beach. And it's where NBA players, it's, like, where they practice during the summer. Mm -hmm. And it was a fairly easy internship to get. And so I started there. And then... um, I came from the era of like growing up on basketball and having like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar like being my heroes in life. Like they were literally my superheroes. And once I entered the league, again, I was so disappointed because there was so much. (laughs) I don't even have to say. Trash ass (laughs) niggas. It was just so much of... It just, it knocks the wind out of you because really this is what it went through when I went through when I was in hip hop. Yeah, because exactly. you see them as icons and you hear their music, their music touches you in such real ways. Yes. And then when you see them as people, you're like, oh, but you're not that dope. I mean, I, right. I say this all the time. I'm going to write a book one day called Your Favorite Rapper is a Lame. Yeah. And it's just going to be stories with names changed of just cool. lame ass scenarios. Yeah. But enough info in the stories where you're like, I 
know who that is. is. <laughs> yeah. But that's a doozy because it's also such an impressionable age. Like once you're, when you're in college, it's like this weird time where you know that you need to be doing something that is meaningful or that is purposeful, but you like don't even have really the tools yet. To develop it. Yeah. Well, but I did, I mean, in everything that I did, I did pick up like a really important thing. So like when I was at the NBA, I, after a while, I was really clearly able to tell who came into the game by way of calling and who came in by way of like just their dads made them practice every day since they were five. And it was always the difference of like the players that really like this is what they were designed to do through and through were always the ones that would stay after and sign autographs. They would always volunteer their time. They always used basketball sort of as a vehicle. It wasn't like their whole identity. Mm-hmm. You know, they... It was a they, conduit. Exactly. And the ones that like practiced and worked really hard to get there because of whatever were always the ones that felt like everybody owed them something. They always had like 32 cars and would never stay for anything that they didn't have to stay for and just felt in like the sense of entitlement that was really sort of a turnoff. Like yeah. you're in this position and you have so much that right. platform money access all of that and you don't even know like you're just there like yeah I, so i work to get here like i own nobody anything exactly yeah and so that was really interesting to me cuz i was like okay i don't ever want to do that like i don't ever want to work so hard at something that either doesn't come naturally to me or isn't my thing where i feel like by the time i get there I'm going to feel like, fuck you, yeah, like you owe me. So I really wanted to find that thing. So on top of passion, it was like, okay, well, what's my calling? Like, what do I feel like I was designed to do? What kind of things come naturally to me? Um, What would I do for free, essentially? Ooh, yeah. So I got really depressed because I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) This is the story of every artist. It's just like, ugh, I've went through the same thing. Yeah. After I got my master's, um, I had already, I was let go from MTV as a host. And it was just like, well, you've met your two life goals. You were a mas- you were a host and on MTV and you got your master's. So now what? And then I, and then my iPod crashed and it was over and I went into. Wow. <laughs> depression. <laughs> I went into a depression for like nine months in 2005. And then in 2006, like on New Year's, I was just like, and scene. And I had to do the same process as you in terms of like, what is going to drive me and like keep me going forward, you know, that I wouldn't need somebody to push me to. And I went through the same thing when I turned 30. And that's how I ended in com- That's how I like really committed to doing comedy. And it's like, I, I totally hear you because when people would ask me like, well, you do a lot of different things. Like, what's the one thing you love? I'm like, well, making people laugh is the one thing I will do no matter what. If we're at dinner, if we're on stage, if we are on a basketball court, whatever, like I'm going to always be trying to make people laugh. And I always tell people, like, if you're going to own your own business, you have to be doing something that you truly love because this shit is going to kick your ass Mm -hmm. every day. Yes. (laughs) Like every day. The victories feel less of victories as much as they feel like. Yeah, yeah, motherfucker. motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, yes. I you did know? it. I did it. And you're like, on to the next, you yeah. know? But overall, my mom always reminds me, you know, never forget that even when you're frustrated or even when you're annoyed or sad or whatever, it's you're annoyed, frustrated, and sad at your shit, mm-hmm. which is very different than being annoyed and sad at NBA shit mm-hmm. or at this policy shit, you know? Right. And so when you, when did you realize, like after the depression, what made you be like, this is the trajectory? So I have a, I have an odd story in, in the sense of that I didn't, I had no way, I didn't know how to access myself. So it wasn't as easy for me to be like, okay, end scene. I really didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. And every time I thought of something, whatever, it just didn't work. Um, so, so you were like Cat Williams when he's like, trying shit, trying shit, won't work, trying shit, trying shit, trying shit, won't work. Love Cat Williams. I would marry Cat Williams. Don't say that too loud. I mean, <laughs> he'll come for you. I would. You hear um, that, Polo Tink? Polo Tink. 
acting. <laughs> well, um, to so, that okay, point, so, like, I mean, my way of accessing myself at that time was literally like, I was like, you know what? You need to go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so like when I got out of school, like I was very into spoken word and like spoken word had like catapulted me in certain ways, like into different spaces. It got me into radio. It got me into um, hosting. And so I went back to the beginning. But you had a beginning to go back to. Fair enough. Yeah. Like I didn't have anything like that. Like, okay, so actually so I went to... Um, I'm a Baha'i, which is my religion, and we have these conferences every now and then. And there was like a big youth conference, and Baha'i t-shirts were always like super lame. They were from the 70s. It was like one planet, one people please, which was cool, but it was they had never been updated. Mm-hmm. So I was like, why hasn't anybody ever made cool Baha'i shirts? So I made like a line of t-shirts and I took them to this conference, like super just, you know, on the strength of like we've never had them. And people lost their minds. Like, what they say? Everybody bought a shirt. I made money. But what the shirts say? Um, they all said different like things about unity and you know like different Baha'i principles. Were there uh, designs? Like, yes, what made them- oh, it was. Okay. There was design. So it was like unity available in stereo, and then it was like a <laughs> pair of headphones, or I don't even remember. Or it was like we we flipped the Converse logo, and instead of I don't the even star. know what it says. It says like one. Um, we wrote like something about oneness around the perimeter okay. and the Baha'i symbol is a nine-pointed star so we replaced oh. it with a, a nine-pointed star just like things like that but people loved it and then I did it and I was like cool but I never looked back to it and thought of it as like this is what I could do in life right like ever but why do you think that is? because of my upbringing and I think because my my mom never reflected back to me anything. I mean, especially being a uh, first generation, yep. essentially like, I mean, she left, she left Iran under crisis. Like she always thought she was going to go back. So it was never like, she never wanted to come here. <laughs> right. She never planted roots right. by choice. And so she never acclimated. She still hasn't acclimated. So she didn't know anything outside of what she knows. That's the doozy of being first generation. Um, it's like you have to teach your parents everything everything about where we are now. Mm-hmm. Like my mom has from Grenada. So like she learned so much about black American culture, like just mm-hmm. from raising a child in America that was black, Mm -hmm. you know? So even though I have like a West Indian upbringing, I still had like a black American. Yeah. It was like two cultures. Yeah. Two cultures simultaneously. I mean, I'm bilingual in that way. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was super hard because America is very black and white. Yeah. You know, there isn't like very much in between. So specifically, LA. LA is very black it's and black, white. black, white, Mexican. Exactly. That's it. So you kind of have to choose like who you're going to be. And well, we know where you chose. If <laughs> <laughs> you've seen her site, we know what you chose. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of what happened, like who I grew up with. Have you had anyone question you or challenge you on cultural appropriation? No, oddly. Because you have a lot of imagery in your in your work that is of black women, of mm-hmm. Egyptian symbols, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I had someone who was just like, she's culturally appropriating. And I was like, I mean, I would say so if she was not existing in this space on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And if she wasn't directly attached, like you can tell that it's not like, oh, I'm just using this as a device to sell things. Mm-hmm. Like it's like this is an identity that I like adhere to. Yeah. Not in a Rachel Dolezal way. No. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's a weird combination of things. I think it's just what I grew up with. But then it's also, I also am very aware of the position that I'm in. And I'm aware of the world and what position it's in. So I've always sort of been the person that 
um, sees what the problem is and then fills the problems, not the problems, but like, for example, there aren't enough African-American women or brown women or women of color that are models. There just aren't. There just aren't. And so that's really where that came from. It was a combination of like, well, this is my friend and she's beautiful and she's works for me. So I'm going to put her in the thing. It was never intentional. And then it sort of became intentional of like, no, we need to diversify women in the fashion space. Mm -hmm. So there was that part of it. Or there was like, um, every time that I have used imagery, like for example, I did um, a very Egyptian inspired collection with Reebok maybe like two or three seasons ago. With the Nefertiti symbol. Yes, Mm -hmm. with the Nefertiti symbol. And we donated proceeds of every piece from that collection to the Black Women's Health Organization and to like four other um, organizations that were all black black women owned and operated to like support that cause. So I'm making a face right now. <laughs> I'm making a Pacino face. Okay. So there never has been a thing and a percentage of all my profits are actually donated to things like that. Like we do a speaker series every month at the store where we try to create community and try to bring people together um just because of the times we're yeah. living in. And And the store is where? Uh, on Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles. Which Check is a out. very like mm, hip, hip, yeah. It's like supreme, undefeated, yeah, exactly. The dime. Um, so it's it's really cool because I've had the chance to bring like to highlight a lot of women of color mm-hmm. to come and talk about whatever they're working on and to try to create community around that. And you know, for many of them, we pay them honorariums. And for every time I host a speaker series, like it's not free. You know, we have to rent chairs. We have to, yeah. you know, I have to run staff. And every time we run one, even if it's like $500 on the low end, that's something that's coming out of our profits, yeah. you know? So it's like, I feel like it's um, very much synergistic, synergistic, right? Yeah. We had a pause. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Synergy. Yeah. yeah, but I'm really interested and open to talking about these kinds of things because I'm not claiming that I I know, like I figured anything out. Maybe I am doing something wrong. And if I am, I would love to talk about it. And in terms of what? In terms of like appropriation. I know that that's a mm-hmm. big word, especially in fashion. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, it's like my issue with appropriation is when there's a, especially like as business owners. So I'll say this, like part of owning your own business is also like knowing the market Mm -hmm. that you're in. And I think there's a lot of folks that want to have their own business, but they don't consider the market. They just consider like what they like, but they don't consider like, okay, just remember if you bring this into commerce, you're going to have to like marry that to business. And that might take away you're like, like for instance, with my art, like I've been very, 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 very protective of like my bringing my art into commerce because Originally, I felt like if I had led with that as my way into business, I'm 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 going to have to like bend sometimes with things because it's like I need to adjust to the market. Whereas in comedy, like I don't have to do that, and it doesn't affect me in the same way. Like it doesn't, the changes don't. But I say all that to say that um, with cultural appropriation, I've seen people and designers who are just like, oh, like black is cool now. So let's like do some black stuff, you know, or like, oh, this is, this is fun. Like these tribal colors, this is fun. Um, But it'll be just like a full bite, but without any type of access or knowledge of where it came from. And like you said, like there's, and, and not giving back Mm -hmm. to where it was utilized from either. And so that's to me, like the real part of appropriation that, is the problem when it's mm-hmm. and when it seeks to homogenize or mainstream something that is absolutely ethnic, mm-hmm. you know, by dis- disconnecting it from that ethnic base and making it like it's white, right? You know, so like when I see white girls with braids, sometimes people will send me a picture of white girls with braids and be like, Is this cultural appropriation? I'm like, It's cultural appropriation if she's wearing these braids like she made them up, Mm -hmm. you know, but if if you're calling them something different. Right. Like these are Senegalese twists. Yeah. You know, these aren't like Mandy's Mandy twists, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's the thing. What I like about your work is I feel like 
it is very clearly um, not derivative. Mm-hmm. It's it it feels organic, like it feels authentic. And I've seen shit, you know, you've seen Forever Twenty One stuff, and you know mm-hmm. where you're like, mm, this is like you're trying to make something that looks cool for for the kids, mm-hmm. and it never feels that way. And that's why you're on people I like. <laughs> so we so have. Also to that, there's also a lot of women of color that work in my office and mm-hmm. that are part of the creative process. So I think that that also, right. it's not just me. Out here know, just like, just like, ta-da! Hey. <laughs> just like, hey. <laughs> and we all know what that meant. <laughs> that, that one time. time. <laughs> so we have a segment on the show called uh, That One Time where we tell a story related to the theme. Mm-hmm. And this theme is owning a business. And so I wanted to know if you have any stories related to like either a great victory mm-hmm. or a great lesson that you have learned while running the empire that is Melody Asani. So many. <sighs> while um, you're thinking, mm-hmm. I will say one of my greatest victories has well one of the greatest lessons is learning that I can't do everything Mm -hmm. and I don't have to be good at everything Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes with running a business in the beginning you are doing so much by yourself Mm -hmm. that you can feel like oh my god if I don't um do this then it's not going to get done and some good help is hard to find Mm -hmm. that's a real thing I'm like I'm still there we're all you're never not Mm -hmm. and that is the truth that you have to come to the understanding of. Like, mm-hmm. it's no, it's never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, but you have to get good at knowing who's good at what they do. And then know it and getting good at people who are like no longer good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had people who are like, you were good for this phase, mm-hmm. but now we've elevated mm-hmm. and you didn't keep up. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, I still fuck with you. Right. But I can't like, right. fuck with you though. Ooh, you are so talking. <laughs> language right now and that's been like a doozy like learning how to spot that and then apply it and -hmm. then not feel bad about it and I had someone I had a producer an executive producer tell me one time she was like listen we're all dealing with a world of people and we want ideally the top 10% of that Mm -hmm. and if you don't have top 10% money you can't hire top 10% people Mm -hmm. So then you got to figure out how to get the top 10% of the 50% that you do have access to. Mm -hmm. And that takes going through a lot of folks. But she was like, at the end of the day, you just need to get the work done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not going to be perfect Mm -hmm. and you may have to step in. And that's when we get annoyed. I know I get annoyed when I have to step in and I'm just like, I hired you so I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to step in. (laughs) But, you know, that's what I love about the, uh, the Small Doses crew. Right here, Bex and Brands, because even when we have like technical difficulties or whatever, you know, I had, I can step in, but I never feel like it's like it would be lost without me. You mm-hmm. know, there's a there's a team and people know their jobs and they take pride in it. Mm-hmm. So, in your experience, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking your language. Have you? Is this something that you faced recently? Yeah, absolutely. I think. It's really hard when you are growing and when you become more and more clear about what you want and what you need and people that you love that have been with you for a long time just aren't keeping up. Because you're like, I really want to support you and keep you on. And if I had extra money, I would just keep paying you. But <laughs> but I can't. And people take that really personal. And it's hard for them not to take it personal. But I I think that before I used to sit in that space a lot longer because I didn't want to hurt anybody and I can't anymore. Because it hurts your business. Yeah. At the rate rate in which I'm growing and that I would like to continue growing, I can't afford to do that. I just can't. And it doesn't serve anybody. It really doesn't serve them. You're actually doing them a favor by letting them go because... You're giving them honest feedback and you're giving them an opportunity to step up. And if you don't give them that opportunity, then chances are they're probably going to wallow in that space that they're in. It's true. What has been the greatest joy of owning your business? The greatest joy of owning my business has been, um, I think, just being able to wake up and do 
do it. Like just do, do what it. You wanna do. Just do what I want to do. Just be able to make things. I think it's really interesting because I actually work in a room that has no windows. My, our office space right now is like super small and it's not ideal. And, but there's all these things that I make in this room that I, that, you know, that isn't my ideal space, but that ends up transporting me to all these different parts of the world. And that gives all this opportunity to me that I never in a million years thought I would have. And it's been such, um, like a humbling thing for me, especially in the last like six months that like, how is it that I'm literally sitting in this corner room every day and I'm doing this stuff and this stuff goes into the world and then it allows me all this like travel or invitations to spaces where I get to be among that top 10% or I get to be among that person that I love Mm -hmm. that I would have never gotten to be in otherwise. When your heroes become your peers. Yeah. And so that part of it is my favorite is just sort of the magic of it because I really feel like I can't take credit for it. It's just like I'm just doing me and then in return it's putting me in these places where I get to like sync up with people that are doing the same kind of thing or that I look up to or that I really admire. And that's really cool. Well, I think your work is like here. Super cool. Yeah. Look at that. Right. How, what are the chances I would be here? You know, just like at the house, just at the just house like in the womb. <laughs> Amanda land looks like what we envision a womb would look like. Maybe really a little more does. Amber. Maybe the room, the womb would be a little more pink, but my <laughs> womb absolutely had records <laughs> and books in it. My mom was listening to a lot of music and reading a lot of books. Um, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you for and sharing your experiences and your wisdom and you know owning the business you guys is just like a constant journey into yourself like staying focused and not letting all the forms (laughs) and the rules um that you can't control like drive you crazy i feel like that's a prescription for life really Ooh, speak on it well just i i feel like you need to learn how to access yourself and like communicate with that self every day and that higher self or else you're just going to be, you can't, you have to be on the inside looking out. You can't be on the outside looking in. That's that. (laughs) That's that. We'll be right back with the last dose, y'all. Make sure to check out MelodyAsani.com. That's M-E-L-O-D-Y-E-H-S-A-N-I.com. Or if you are Al Sharpton, Melanie Ashanti <laughs> dot uh, yeah thank you good very times much. the last dose well I'm so glad Melody Asani get to come and hang out with us y'all don't understand I love her pieces it really is dope to hear the background on how they've come about and just to see how she has found her way to her own business and a business that she will continue to thrive and grow in because that's really the the goal, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people are entrepreneurs and they like just starting various businesses. But I think for the most part, a lot of us are just like, I would love to just get one fucking business that's doing a lot of dope shit. We're all looking for our Sir Mix-A-Lot, I like big butts business. You know, just like that one business that we can live off for the rest of our lives. Because that nigga is definitely living off. I, I like, like big butts and I cannot lie. Are you other motherfuckers did not? Like he's been living off that his whole life. And if you ask him about it, he's like, oh, I, I don't care that I'm a one hit wonder. He's like, that's shit. That's more hits than a lot of folks ever get. I'm cool. That put my kids through college. That bought me a house. I ain't got no problems with that whatsoever and just for the record he had another hit my posse's on broadway oh my posse's on broadway shout out to seattle but again i digress owning your own business is so brave and it is a very difficult yet rewarding process and you got to give yourself some leeway to learn you also got to give folks some leeway to get into it and you got to give yourself um, some information. I think sometimes like we just jump into things and we, we don't take the time to fully inform ourselves of how it works, how it applies. And when you're starting a business, you do have to do market research. And you do have to really question 
your personal research. And when I say personal research, I mean, you got to look inside yourself and say, can I do this? Is this really what I want to do? What is the reason I want to do this for? Because if the reason you want to own your own business is because you'll show them, don't do it. You got to want to own a business because you genuinely like owning a business. And you genuinely believe that this is what you're supposed to be doing with your time and your efforts. Because that shit is going to kick your ass on a regular basis. And the reality is not everybody has to be a business owner to be a leader or to be useful or to be purposeful. So sometimes you got to look at it and say, like, that's just not for me. I don't want to have all that responsibility. I remember Bill Burr was on um, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee and Seinfeld was like, yo, like, how come you've never got your own TV show? You've never had any of that? He was like, because I don't want to own the boat. I want to be the guy that you invite to come hang out on the boat. And when we're done hanging out, I get to leave and go home. And you got to figure out what the fuck to do with this boat. And everybody, not everybody wants to own the boat. Maybe you're the person who's going to sit on the back of the boat. And that's cool, too. All in all, though, shout out to everybody who's sending DMT questions and everybody who's out there right now and is just like, oh, fuck, now I got to go do taxes <laughs> or, if I, or just file their extensions. We going to make it. 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 I need to start having like a theme song for every episode. This episode's theme song is absolutely that. Jada Kiss and Styles P, we going to make it. I hope y'all keep on going so that you do. It's a good show.